call me on the line. You can call me, call me anytime. Call me, call me, call me. If your lovers, chalupas in the line, call me, call me on the podcast. You can call me for a little while, call me. Hello, folks. This is Rich Outfield, and this is the Rich Out Cast. One of my goals for 2022 was to put out this episode. My New Year's resolutions, you know? So I felt obliged to do it, obligated to do it. I'm not sure if that's the same word, but I'm treating it as though it is. I'm gonna share a story with you that is a long time in coming. That story is called Caller ID. And let's call this Caller ID Volume One. All right? I've got this idea, or I got this idea last year, maybe even the year before, that every year around the same time I would put out a new volume of caller ID and it would encourage me to write new stories, new sequels, I suppose. And uh, it was kind of a daunting project. It was, it was big, in my mind at least, although if you just take it one year at a time, it's not that bad. And then last year, 2021, I did sit down to record caller ID. And um, somewhere in the months that followed, I chickened out or I lost interest or, or, or something. But sure enough, the very end of December, beginning of January, when it came time to make my resolutions, I thought, no, this time I'm going to set it. I'm going to say it publicly and I, I'm going to do it. Years and years ago, back in the vaunted days of 2008, Big Anklevich told his buddy Ian that the two of us were going to do a fiction podcast where we presented stories and we were going to open it up for submissions and people could send us their stories. And Ian said, well, why don't you do your own stories? And Big said, oh, we will. We'll get to our own stories, but we'll have a mix of other people's stories and then we'll sprinkle ours in every once in a while. And Ian said something that I never forgot. And what's weird is Big Anklevich never forgot it either. He said, well, do whatever you, whatever you want to do, but know that any instance where you put out a story that is not your own, you are wasting your time. You're wasting your time. It's something that both of us have remembered and we turned around in our heads over and over again, trying to figure out what Ian meant by that. Both of us had stories that we had written and we had a forum to put them out there. And so I think Ian was just trying to encourage us in our writing careers. And I just made quotes in the air. So for fear of wasting my time, I am putting this episode out here and, um, Afterward, I will talk about the episode and where it came from, and you probably already know, because I've talked about it for years, at least a dozen years. So hopefully you enjoy the first installment of Caller ID. Caller ID by Rish Outfield. Chapter 1. 2008. When Chad Clutron was turning 10 years old, he asked for a cell phone for his birthday. His parents didn't get him one. They said he was too irresponsible and that it was too expensive and that no kid needed a cell phone. He thought about those words for 12 months. A couple of his friends and about half of his classmates had cell phones, he wasn't sure how they had gotten them. Just asked, he supposed. But Chad told his mother that's all he wanted for his eleventh birthday. He made a list of chores he would do for free to help pay the bills. He promised to take care of the phone and never get it taken away in class. If she didn't want him to, he wouldn't even take it to school. 
It didn't have to be a fancy one with a touch screen or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or play games, just as long as it called and texted and maybe took pictures. His parents must have found him pretty convincing, because he got a new, somewhat fancy cell phone for his 11th birthday. His grandma paid for a leather and plastic case for it that was supposed to protect it from dropping and rain and scuffs and lava and stuff. At first, Chad didn't get many calls. He was just a kid, and not tremendously popular at school. But he did use the phone quite a bit, if only to text his friends Nguyen and Kwame. And he really did take care of it, for the most part. Nearly everybody he knew at school had broken their phone at one time or another, and his stepfather had made it clear that this was the only one he'd be getting until he was mature enough to handle it. One morning, Chad got a strange call. It had been at 5-something a.m. before it got light outside, so he didn't even wake up when the Spider-Man theme song started playing. It wasn't until afternoon that he discovered he had a missed call. It was a little weird. The caller ID said, Unknown caller, except the K was an X, and the L's were sevens. It didn't show a return number. There was also a new voicemail message. All that was in his inbox was a five-second recording, consisting of, Chad, if my memory's right, this is your number. It's very important that you not change the... And then it hung up. He didn't recognize the man's voice, except he was clearly an adult, and there was something funny about the sound. Chad deleted the message and promptly forgot about it. Chapter 2, 2009 A year passed, and it happened again. He woke up one morning in February, and there was a message on his voicemail, same strange version of unknown caller. He didn't even remember the call from the year before, but when he played the message back, the voice sounded familiar. Chad, listen, listen to me. Like I said, do not change this number. Keep it as long as you can. The phone is replaceable, but the number... And that was it. The man sounded deadly serious, almost desperate. Instead of deleting the message, Chad saved it, sure there was something noteworthy about it. A couple of days later, his pal Kwame Umparo was over, and Chad played the message for him. What do you think it... How'd you do that with your voice, man? Kwame asked. Do what? That. When Chad didn't respond, his friend said, Chad, that's your voice, man. No, it isn't. Well, it sure sounds like it. Chad didn't know what to think, but he listened to it again and again, and when the save time on his voicemail was up, he wrote down the message in his journal. It occurred to him that the caller might have called before, when he first got the phone, but he couldn't remember if they'd talked or not. His mother had told him not to answer calls with the numbers blocked, and though he didn't usually do whatever his mother, or his stepfather especially, said, he had taken her suggestion on this point. The advice the man on the phone gave was to keep that same telephone number, and Chad intended to follow it. The screen on his cell had developed a crack in it. Chad had sat down just the wrong way with the phone in his pocket, and his parents got him a new phone for Christmas, but he made sure he could keep the same number. A couple of times, numbers he didn't recognize called his phone, but it was always either a sales recording or a wrong number. Chapter 3 2010 but a lot of things happen in an active boy's life. And when the man didn't call back, he started to forget about it. He turned 13 years old, and one day, the unknown caller rang again. The call came just after five in the morning. This time, his message was longer. Chad, it looks like I have a minute. Not sure if you're getting these, but you need to keep this new number. 
This is 2010, if I'm right. In 2011, the Packers win the Super Bowl, 31-25. to That should prove that I'm on the level. And that was it for the message. Chad hit redial, but the call would not go through. He tried sending it a text, but it was undeliverable. He listened and re-listened to the message. At one point, he tried to lower his voice and sound like the caller. And no doubt, some of the inflection was the same. Some of the ways the caller spoke, he too spoke. He'd take Kwame's word for it. The caller was him. This is 2010, if I'm right, the man had said. That told Chad that there was something magical going on, for lack of a better word. And at the same time, not exactly reliable. But he didn't look the gift horse in the mouth. Sure enough, Green Bay won the Super Bowl the next January. Once the teams that would be facing off were announced, Chad knew it was true. He made bets with everyone who was willing, which ended up being his stepfather, uncles, and one cousin, putting pretty much every dime he had on the game. There was a nerve-wracking moment when it looked like the Steelers would score late in the game. But no, the Packers won, 31-25. to For 13-year-old standards, Chad was a rich man. He got 60 bucks from his stepdad alone. Chapter 4, 2011 In looking over his journal entries, it seemed to Chad that the calls always came on the same day in February, around 5 in the morning. The night before that cold February day, Chad told himself he'd stay up the entire night, so that when the magic man called, he'd be ready. He drank his body weight in Dr. Pepper and borrowed Nguyen's laptop, watching violent action movies to keep his heart rate up. Unfortunately, sometime around 3 a.m., Chad's body turned against him, and he found himself opening his eyes, still in his clothes, when his mom came in to wake him for school. He had missed the call. He played the message back in the bathroom. Chad, I hope you're getting these. I'd really like to hear your voice. There's a lot we could talk about. All right, 2011. Since you're, what, 15? I can't very well give you lottery numbers, but New York's going to win the Super Bowl this year, and a horse called Animal Kingdom is taking the Kentucky Derby. That was it. But it was plenty, really. The same Uncle Chad had won a bundle from in January was willing to place a bet on the Kentucky Derby, and they split $1,100. As the Super Bowl neared, none of his relatives were willing to bet against him, but he made a respectable amount from his buddies at school, and that same, ever-reliable uncle put 600 on the New York Giants for him. Chapter 5, 2012 Chad was grateful for his mysterious benefactor. When February came around again, Chad tried a second time to stay awake for the call. This year, at the same early hour, when the phone rang, Chad was already awake, having set his alarm for five and turned the lights on in his room. Hello? he said, his pulse quickening. Chad, you picked up. Yeah, it's hard to answer so early. Sorry. Do you know who I am? You're me? How is that possible? I'm in the future. When? How are you doing this? I stole a... No, wait. Ask me when I have more time. What's my least favorite food? Chad asked. Probably pickles. Or relish. Chad began to ask another question, but realized he didn't need to. He was a believer. Okay, you're what, 15? Yes, Chad said, though he remembered the caller saying the same thing last year. On April 2nd or 3rd, somewhere there, you're riding your bike and get hit by a FedEx truck. It's bad. If you can...
but that was it. The call duration had been 80 seconds, which was double the length from last year, and it seemed to have been half that the year before. Chad wished he had recorded the conversation, so he could play it back again and again like he had the previous ones, but he wrote down everything he remembered in his journal before going back to sleep. He had an interesting time waiting for April. While he would have preferred a third Super Bowl score, he worried about the next January when his schoolmates would want a chance to make their money back. He figured a bad accident was more important. It was hard to know how to take the advice. Chad rode his bike everywhere, a nice blue mountain bike with shock absorbers and Wi-Fi, as neither of his best friends had driver's licenses and school was just under a mile away. But now, he was nervous, especially when he saw a truck or van and would actually stop his bike and wait whenever he saw a FedEx truck. He wore a helmet and started putting pads on his elbows and knees. He was mocked for it once or twice, but he couldn't bring himself to take them off. He told himself that he'd stop riding his bike completely on April 1st and maybe pick it up again around the middle of the month, just in case... In case what? Well, the caller had gotten his age wrong the last year. He just wanted to be extra careful. It was the end of March when it happened. On March 31st, Chad was heading home from school, keeping a fairly steady pace. Nguyen was struggling to keep up with him. His friend had a mountain bike he'd bought from a summer doing landscaping work, though the sunglasses he wore and the iPod he listened to were from his own father's wager on the Kentucky Derby. "'Are we racing?' he called out. Chad glanced back. "'No, not as far as I know. Do you want to race?' Nguyen shook his head. There was no beating Chad when he really wanted to win. It was something he admired in his friend, though it could often be frustrating. He opened his mouth to say something about Chad being willing to cheat to win when the FedEx truck came around the corner in front of them. Chad saw a white blur and slammed on the brakes. The truck never even saw him, even when the back of the vehicle smacked into him. There was a jolt of pain then white, then nothing, as Chad felt himself pushed back onto the sidewalk, his bike still under him. He started to shout, then his helmet hit the pavement. Chapter 6, 2013 It was just after 5 a.m., the lights on, and the phone next to the bed. It began to ring. This was his third phone in a row, all with the same number and Chad rose to scoop it up. He bumped his knee, the one on his weak leg, on the corner of the desk, and winced. Anger seethed through him, and he pressed talk on the cell phone. FedEx truck ran me over, collar unknown, he all but shouted into the speaker. The gasp of surprise on the other end actually dissipated some of his anger. Oh, Chad, I'm sorry. I tried to warn you. It was on March 31st, the boy growled. You said it was in April. I'm sorry. I came out of it in April sometime. Came out of it? There was sadness in the caller's voice. The coma, he said. No, I wasn't in a coma. I wasn't even out for more than two minutes. My goddamn leg was mangled, though. Chad, the caller said softly. Bike was thrashed. Magical cell phone, too. But that hardly matters compared to my... Chad, the adult said louder. Chad fell silent, and the man continued. I'm in a wheelchair. My legs weren't mangled, but my spine was. Chad said nothing. It had never occurred to him that the accident could have been worse. He'd had pads and a helmet on, and a bike with good brakes. If he hadn't had any of that. The caller realized he had a limited amount of time here, and kept talking. So, you're all right. You can walk. It occurred to the boy that the future Chad didn't know he wasn't a cripple until he said so. Yeah, 
How do you not know that? I'm only you in one direction, Jack. When you grow up, you won't be me. What? The caller ignored him. I've been doing some research. I think we can do some good with this, especially next year. But this year... Wait! What about the Super Bowl? In 2012, the Ravens win. No, 2013. The Ravens. Again? Are you sure? No, it's Seattle then. But this is much more important, Chad. On May 16th, a young woman, Avery Strobe, is raped and murdered coming home from a party. The article said she was hitchhiking on Carlston Road. She had brown hair and wore... But that was it. A much longer conversation than they'd ever had before. But not enough. May came along, and on the 16th, Chad did what he could. He had his driver's license now, and though he wasn't sure what he was going to do about it, got in his little red VW bug and set out for Carlston Road, which had once been a busy logging road through the woods, but was now on the poor side of town, where almost nobody ever drove. The sun was going down, and it dawned on him that the incident could have happened earlier in the day, or worse, late the night before. He'd brought a can of mace and a switchblade Nguyen had lent him, but he knew nothing of the rapist or the circumstances of Stroby's attack. He had found her on the Internet, discovering she had played volleyball at the local community college two years before, and thought he would recognize her if he saw her, especially if she was hitchhiking. His stomach was tight, as he reached the intersection where Carlston met First Street. He drove up the road until it entered the woods and became Rural Route 9, then turned around and drove back to First. There were no hitchhikers, but he did see two kids on ten-speeds. Chad always winced when he saw kids riding bikes without helmets now, even though he had done so for more than a decade. His leg had pretty much healed completely by this point, though there was some ugly scar tissue on the side and around the knee, and an ache when it got cold. Sometimes he got muscle spasms that felt like breaking it all over again, and the doctor said it should fade in time, but if it didn't, it might mean he needed a second surgery. He had enough money for a car, and that was great, because he wasn't cut out for bike riding anymore, even on a good day. The Volkswagen Beetle had a hundred thousand miles on the odometer, a tail light with a crack in it, and the paint was peeling on the top of the hood. But he'd been able to pay cash for it, and that was something. He drove back and forth for over an hour, as the sun sank over the horizon and the shadows lengthened. He was doing no good except running his gas tank down. Around eight o'clock, Chad was doing his patrol and saw a pickup truck stopped on the other side of the road. It started moving again as he neared it, and he could see a couple of people in the cab. He didn't know if the truck had stopped for a hitchhiker or not. A half hour later, he started to worry, wishing he had followed the pickup, or at least written down its license plate number. Maybe he could have done more to track Avery Stroby down, found her address, got her phone number or something. At 9.27, he saw a shape up ahead, something white on the other side of the road. He had been parking, pretending to read, then driving around intermittently. He squinted into the dark. It was a person, a woman, it seemed. Now he pulled forward, drove down Carlston Road half a block, did a U-turn, and drove back the way he came. There was no one there. For one terrifying moment, he worried she had already been picked up. But there weren't any other cars out on this road. The girl stepped out of the woods just as he drove past, trying to flag him down. He slammed on the brakes. The girl approached the passenger side of the car. She wore a mini skirt and black leggings, white button-up blouse. 
She had a nice face in person. The volleyball photo hadn't been flattering. Sorry, she laughed. Had to pee. Need a lift? he asked, aware that no one had used that phrase since the 20th century. But then, people hadn't picked up hitchhikers since then, either. I do, new best friend, she said, and climbed aboard. She was so familiar with him that he liked her immediately. She wasn't particularly pretty, too tall and too skinny, but she was friendly. And nobody deserved to get murdered, nice or not. Going into town? I am. He pulled back onto the blacktop and drove away. Did I see you across the road before? Yeah, I... <laughs> I had to pee, too. Birds of a feather, she said, smiling, but it looked less than genuine. I'm Avery. Chad, he said, and glanced in the rearview mirror. Another car was coming up the road a big SUV with the two bright halogen headlights he'd hated ever since starting to drive. He wondered if that was the vehicle that would have picked her up originally. "'You all right?' the young woman asked. "'I—I'm fine. I just—my mom told me not to pick up hitchhikers.' "'Yeah. My parents told me never to hitchhike. This is only the second time I've ever done it, but I've had the worst night.' She told him about her evening about running into her ex-boyfriend and how her drunken friend Muriel wouldn't take her home and called her the C-word when she threatened to walk home. Tears came to Avery's eyes, and Chad said, Hey, it could have been worse. It is worse, she half laughed, half cried. I left my purse in her car. It has my cell phone in it. And God, my keys. I'm sorry, Chad said. He drove her home, all too aware of her there beside him, his body a jangle of nerves. The responsibility on his shoulders was new and remarkably heavy, and he ran out of small talk quickly. She made some of her own. What is that you're pushing with your hand? My what? He blurted out, misinterpreting what she'd said in the worst way. He hadn't even considered touching himself. Then he realized what she was asking. I, I got in an accident, messed up my leg. So this is a hand gear to push the gas. You mean you can't walk? She asked, sounding overly concerned. I can. It just hurts to use my right leg. Hopefully I'll get this thing taken out in a month or two. Well, then you're even more of a hero, she said, and actually leaned over and kissed his cheek. That made the rest of the drive even more uncomfortable for Chad. It was one thing to hear about someone getting kidnapped or killed on the news, but it was quite another to actually know them, to realize they were an individual, a person as real as anyone. That's my apartment there, Avery said, pointing. He pulled the car up to the curb, behind a brown Prius. Might have been green, it was hard to tell at night and let her out. Your keys, he reminded her. I thought you left them in your... That's my roommate's car. She'll let me in. Avery looked at him with undeniable gratitude and good feelings. There was no attraction in her eyes whatsoever. Hey, thanks again, Chris. You're a lifesaver. Chad didn't correct her on the name, since the other thing she said was much more important. He told her to take care of herself and drove on home. Chapter 7, 2014 Chad answered the phone on the first ring. Hey! he said, maybe too exuberantly. Hey, man. How was your year? She made it home fine! he burst out unable to bury the lead even ten seconds. She's alive! Pretty, too! Great job, Chad, future Chad said. You're a hero. But nobody knows it. He knew it sounded petty, but he couldn't help how he felt. 
It was one more secret, on top of the one about calls from himself he'd kept for years. Well, you know it, and I know it. The older Chad didn't bury the lead either. I realize you're still underage, but here's the Minnesota State Lottery numbers for next June. Do not waste the money, okay? I have a plan for it. Chad happily wrote the numbers down. What can I do this year? Well, what do you mean? asked the voice on the phone. Who can I save? A chuckle. I'm proud of you, Chad. Um, there's a family that gets asphyxiated in November. Their space heater malfunctions. When in November? The ninth. No, they're found on the ninth. He gave young Chad the pertinent details. What else? The boy asked. What else? What else can I do? Wow, uh, okay. Uh, I have a list prepared. Let's see what I have for you in 2014. Oh, okay, this is a good one. Chad was breathless with anticipation. What? There's... But that was it for this year's phone call. So, in 2014, Chad, or rather Chad's older stepsister, won the lottery. It only turned out to be $8 million because of the taxes. Only. But $8 million was eight more than he'd ever have otherwise. Chad was walking fine now, even having gotten rid of his cane, which had been pretty stylish, as far as those things go, and only felt pain in his legs, and his back in particular, when the weather got extremely hot or cold. Uncle Alan had bought a second ticket, using two of Chad's numbers, and one over ten grand. Chad told everyone that his uncle was the one who won the lottery. His sister insisted, and hoped that the new fortune wouldn't change the way people treated him. Alan was fine to go along with that story, but he seemed spooked by Chad's dubious good luck, and looked at him differently after that. But it didn't keep him from cashing his $6,000 check, after a different uncle, Sam, took his cut. Others looked at Chad differently, too. Megan seemed to call a lot more in June than she had in May. Just to talk about her day, just to find out what happened in school, just to hear his voice. Chad's sister quietly paid off her house, and set up a fund so her daughter, and whatever children she had in the future, could go to the college of their choice. Chad's life was good, but he kept looking toward November and the family that would die. That was, if he didn't do something about it. He slowed down his new car, a hybrid, on Poplar Avenue, across from the Torgo house and saw their two kids, a boy and a little girl, playing in the front yard. Soon it would get cold, and their heater would be in use often, maybe all the time. The thought of those kids breathing in harmful fumes for days, or deadly ones in the night, so they never woke up again, caused Chad's teeth to grit together. How could he help them? It wasn't as though he could just replace their heater with except that he could. He called the local home improvement store, asked if they could deliver a space heater. No, he didn't know the square footage, or even if more than one would be needed, but he bought a nice, reliable, and fairly expensive unit to be delivered the next day to the Torgo house. Are they hard to hook up? Chad asked over the phone. And not particularly, the saleswoman said. If you like, we can have a technician install the system for you. Well, that would be great. How fast can you get somebody over there? Well, there is a fee, the lady said, almost apologetically. Sure, that's fine. But how would he get the Torgo family to allow the technician into their home? The family didn't look rich, not by a long shot. But would they just accept charity like that? Chad wasn't sure they would. Finally, he went into the store with a note to attach to the purchase. The typed note explained that one of Mr. Torgo's neighbors 
who preferred to remain anonymous, had won a couple of prizes at the hardware store, and owing Mr. Torgo a favor, was passing on some of his winnings to the Torgos. The surprisingly tall customer service woman gave Chad a suspicious look, and Chad shrugged. My dad's the one that owes him the favor, really. Not me. And if this John Torgo doesn't agree with you? And refuses, you mean? he asked, unsure why he was getting attitude with her now, after spending several hundred dollars on their products. I guess we'll try again at Puente Heat and Air. She narrowed her eyes at Chad, but held her tongue. Apparently, somebody on John Torgo's block did owe him a favor, because he allowed the servicemen to deliver and install the heating unit. Chad drove past the house on his way home from school and saw the old heater on the curb in front of the Torgo's house. Free. Works great. A piece of paper on it read. Chad smiled and drove on, then reconsidered and turned around. He hefted the big, ugly machine into the trunk of his car and hauled it to the nearest apartment complex with a dumpster. If some other family had taken the space heater and installed it, his good deed would have had an asterisk beside it. Chad had felt very happy when he won all the money he could ever spend in the Minnesota lottery. He felt better, though, when he scanned the Internet the next day and found no articles about asphyxiation or suffocating kids. He drove down Poplar Avenue once more a week later, and there were Christmas decorations in the yard of the Torgo house. A good sign that all was well. He paid a red-headed guy to dress in a leprechaun costume and ask Rebecca Andreessen to the prom with him, and she said yes. He went to the dance, fell in love, lost his virginity, paid off his mother's and grandparents' houses, and had a truly good year. And he kept the same number on his cell phone, even though that cost extra. The End Well, there you go. If you're newish to my podcast, I have spoken about this before, but uh, I, I'm going to sum up basically what I remember. There was a year that I went to San Diego Comic-Con and for the Hall H line in the morning, it became more and more difficult to get into those panels. You had to be more and more dedicated. It used to be the very first Comic-Con that I went to. We got there. The doors opened. We had to uh, get a ticket. And then we went into Hall H. And were able to enjoy the panels there. But with each passing year, you had to work harder. And the last time that I went to San Diego Comic-Con, I spent the night in the line. And I didn't get in. Now, granted, that's not typical. There were people behind me in line that did get in, uh, which made me very, very upset. But all day, I wasted the entire day in that line, and I didn't get in. Anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. But around 2000 and, let's say, 10, 2011, I went there early in the morning, you know, set my alarm to wake me up early in the morning, got in my car, drove down. Hey, I got a good parking spot, which is a benefit for getting up that crazy early in the morning. Then I got to the end of the line and I don't think this was the first time that I had done that, where I set my alarm early and I got in the line and I thought to bring a notebook with me. And uh, as I sat in the line for hours, I jotted down my thoughts, my feelings, the things that I had already seen, and this idea that I had for a story where a kid gets a cell phone and the person on the other end is him from the future, and he's there to give him advice, there to help him out. I was writing the story, and I put it on my blog. It's possible that I had a netbook or something like that and I was actually blogging 
at the time, but I, I don't believe so because I remember with, with that very first attempt at a laptop, I could never get any signal. I could never get Wi-Fi. Even when I was inside the convention center, the Wi-Fi would come in and then it would be gone. Come in and then it would be gone. I find it hard to believe that in a line behind the building, I had Wi-Fi, but it, you know, it doesn't really matter. I published it as soon as I could and then forgot about it. It was a story that I had started in the line and then I wrote, oh, line is moving. And that was it. It was out of sight, out of mind. And a, a year later, maybe it was less than a year, maybe it was more, somebody came upon my blog and they commented, what happened? After that, what happened with the story? And I surprised myself because I'd completely forgotten that I'd started this story about the cell phone call from the future. And the person who commented got me thinking about it. I didn't know what happened next, but I jotted down some ideas and eventually I did continue the story. And I liked the idea of every year on that same day, the phone would ring and he would be able to communicate with the future. And so I did. I think I wrote four or five installments of it. I believe that what you just heard was seven chapters or seven telephone calls. In 2021, when I was still doing my writing every single day, I did pick up caller ID and I finished chapter eight, which had been in progress. And then I wrote a chapter nine. So there are bits of the story that go beyond what you just heard. And basically what I wanted to happen was for this Kluchar kid to have a little adventure every year. Uh, and at some point, the conversation would get long enough that the future version could tell him what was up with the device and the future that he came from. I don't believe I ever spelled out how old his future self was. So each installment would be another like little adventure for Chad Kluchar to have. <laughs> Sometimes I know where character names come from, but Kluchar? That's horrible. And my guess is I probably mailed a package to somebody named Chad Kluchar, or at least Kluchar was the last name. And I thought that it was gross enough that I thought, you know what? I'm going to name a character after that. I do know where the last name Torgo came from, and you can probably guess as well. But if not, I'd say, and this is no exaggeration, that Manos, The Hands of Fate, is probably the worst movie I have ever seen. And, you know, I've seen Michael Bay movies. I've seen The Room by Tommy Wiseau. If you see it on Mystery Science Theater 3000, then it has its charms. But I've seen it both ways. <laughs> Anyhow, July is my birthday month, and I figured if I put out this episode in July around my birthday, I would remember every year. Okay, oh, it's almost my birthday. I guess I've got to do another Color ID episode. Luckily, my birthday falls right in the middle of July, and so I should have plenty of time to edit this. I have already edited the story. I was listening to it yesterday. I tried different things effects on adult Chad's voice. I wanted it to sound distorted, but I also wanted it to be understandable. And so uh, I played with different things, but if it's going to be a year when we hear future Chad again, I won't remember how I did it. So it'll probably vary throughout, but that's fine. It is a unstable technology. This, uh, telephone call to the past. I think about stuff like that all the time. It's, it's been a, it's been an obsession of mine, my pretty much my whole life. 
probably the first major story that I wrote and finished was about a high school kid who gets a visit from himself from 20 years in the future and himself has had all sorts of terrible problems such as drug addiction and himself from the future has had all sorts of terrible problems like drug addiction and he tries to give advice to his teenage self that wasn't the first time that I had had that idea uh, and it certainly wasn't the last time that I played with that idea in stories it's just something that has always fascinated me. So what would you, let's say that you could call yourself when you were 15 years old, but you only have a few seconds. What would you say to yourself? Oh, I didn't hang up. I just, I wanted to listen to your answer genuinely. I know that this story is not great. <laughs> As I said, I listened to it to make sure that it was all edited. The first two segments were from last year, and I edited the last segment just last week. And there were points there where I thought, gosh, dude, this is, ugh. But I'm always that way. I'm always going to find flaws, and I'm always going to see room for improvement and perhaps that can be a theme in future installments of this series. I hope that you're glad that I shared it with you. And if you are the person who got on my blog years ago and said, whatever happened to that story, let me know. And I will personally thank you in the print version of this story or, uh, you know, audio version or something like that. You deserve it. I will see you next year. Oh, sorry. Chad Kluchar will see you next year. I will see you with, you know, your next episode of either this show or the podcast that dares not speak its name. But thank you for listening. As usual, I have a Patreon fund. I would really appreciate it if you supported me. I have been making things that are just for them. In fact, I'm going to record a little thing right now that they get. If you can't support me on Patreon, though, you can leave me a comment. You can say hi to me on Facebook. You can remember me when communing with the souls of your ancestors. And, uh, that's, that's that. This has been Rish Outfield calling from the past. Good night. The Rish Outcast has reached its end. For now, anyway. And on reflection, I suspect it was produced with some sort of Creative Commons license. Perhaps a non-commercial one. One with no derivatives, but with attribution also. Evidence points to the legendary Gino Moretto for the logo and Algar Van Kluth for the rather rude sound that follows. It is my recommendation that you share this file, if you see fit, but do not try to sell it or change it or make alterations to it. If that goes well, perhaps you could contribute a dollar an episode or more to the Patreon fund attached to it over at www.patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield to ensure that more episodes are produced. If that does not go well, however, I suggest you run. Now! He's the size of a sheepdog now, Rick. Maybe a cow. I, I don't see how we could conceal him without anybody getting suspicious. He's the size of a big dog now, Rick. Maybe a sheep. I don't see how we could conceal him without anybody getting suspicious. I don't see how you could... 
I don't see how we could conceal him without somebody getting suspicious. I don't see how we could conceal him without anybody getting suspicious. I don't see how we could... I don't see how we could conceal him without somebody getting suspicious. Hello, folks. This is Rish Outfield. And this is the Rish Out... And basically what I wanted to happen was for... What's his name? Clint? Starts with a C. Clay. Chris. Kluchar is his last name. Damn! I can't remember his name. Mike Kluchar? God, I wish I could remember his name. Is it Alex? Alex Kluchar? Alec? Adam Kluchar? Bob Kluchar? Boop. I could look it up. I hate it, but I, I think I will. Uh, I'm about four or five minutes from a internet signal. Mike Kluchar? Matt Kluchar? Michael Mark Kluchar? Max Kluchar? Well, you know what? I'll pick up in a minute when I figured it out. Is it Matt Kluchar? Get your weapon moving, Frey. Uh, see, now I'm thinking it is Matt Kluchar. Wild turkeys. These are good-looking birds. Well, they're not good-looking, but I'm sure they're delicious. Okay, give me just one second. Uh, we're going to see how fast I can find out. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, give me just a second. I bet it took two minutes, didn't it? Oh, fudge, that Olivia Rodrigo song is really good. Chad Kluchar. Give me like 30 seconds and then I'll go. I'm sorry, I'm farting. Caller ID, part two. It was 2015, going on 2017. Wait, what? Why? <laughs> it was 2015, going on 2016. And Chad Clutron's life was going quite well. He had won the... Wait. Clutron. It's, Cl it's Cluchar, right? Just a second. Let's see. When, Cla when Chad Clutron was turning 10 years... Clutron. Oh, somehow it became Cluchar as the story was going on, and I never noticed it. And I've already talked about how terrible the last name Cluchar is. <sighs> okay. Well, Clutron, you will have to wait for a sci-fi story. Because Cluchar is uglier, but it also sounds more like a real name than Clutron. You're welcome.